0: Hello and welcome to the business of agriculture podcast with me your host Damian Mason where every week we bring in interesting topics We talk about the industry that we all know love and work in the industry of food fuel fiber and farming That's right. It's the business of agriculture I promised you when we started this and by the way, this is like episode 51 or 52. We've made it over the half century imagine that I promise you when we started that I wasn't going to bore you talking about crop prices and weather forecasts because every ag meeting I've been to in the last 49 years, they got somebody in there talking about the spot price of corn for March and what the El Nino Clipper is going to do as far as weather from Alberta. So anyway, here's the deal. You know that I talk for a living. I speak at corporate events and association events all over North America. That's what I do. And I do so humorously because I have a comedy background. I've got a guest. He's a buddy of mine who does what I do for a living. So you are going to get the pleasure of hearing from another guy who does what I do for a living, talks at corporate and association events, and he does it for agriculture just like I do. If you've ever wondered what it's like behind the scenes and you're a comedy guy, if you've ever wondered what the fun, and not-so-fun, what's the work like? What's the business of being an ag talker who's funny really look like? Well, you're going to hear about it from my perspective, but more importantly, from my guest's perspective. His name is Tim Moffitt. He's a funny dairy farmer. Maybe you've been at a meeting where he was on stage. If you haven't, you might consider trying to get him at your next event. Tim and I met a while back, and we'll get into that. But most importantly, please welcome to the show Tim Moffat. Thanks, Damien. Thanks for having me on, buddy. I really appreciate you being here. These folks are going to get, you know, they're in for an earful, buddy. They're going to hear from us about what we do for a living. And they're like out there right now. Remember, I've got seed salesmen, and I got, you know, gals that are putting their kids on the bus, and they're listening in the pickup truck at the end of the driveway. We got all kinds of different people, you know, farm people, meat processors. And they're saying, hey, man, I wonder what it's like to be a paid talker. So Tim Moffitt. Give them a little background on you, then we'll talk about us. I am uh, i am a dairy
1: farmer, so I go as Tim the Dairy Farmer. Uh, I wrote that name myself. Um, That's a pretty original name. Well, people kept getting me confused with my cousin, Cow Patty Tom. So <laughs> I went with Tim the Dairy Farmer. But I've been doing uh, stand-up on the side for almost 17 years now.
0: And, yeah, and, and, and uh, you, you are from Florida – well, and sure. you're a dairy farmer, so you and I have some things in common. Dear audience, you've heard me talk to some dairy farm people, you hear me talk about dairy issues, this guy knows because he's a dairyman down there in Florida. So he and I are both 49 years old, we're both from a dairy farm background, we both talk funny for a living. <sighs> wow, there's <laughs> like us two and that's it. We were meant to be together. So anyway, tell these folks a little bit about your operation on the ag side, and then we'll talk about your showbiz side. On well, the ag side,
1: uh, the dairy business, which is a lovely thing to be in right now. Uh, my brother and I have been partners for 30 years, I guess, and uh, we're a
0: grass-fed dairy operation. And by the way, there's not a lot of that. That's kind of old school. It's kind of what New Zealand, I guess, has some of that. Tell us how that works. Well, that we were at a point where um, all our money was going to the feed
1: companies and everybody except us. So we pulled the trigger. And when I say all grass, I mean it's all grass. Um, right now we're cutting grass silage, whereas most guys are putting up corn silage. We're putting up grass silage. Uh, we might feed a little hay in the winter. But other than some good mineral supplements, it's just grass. Okay. I'm, not against, I'm not against feeding feed. But
0: right now it doesn't pay
1: to feed feed.
0: Well, you got to do what works for you. So you get a little less milk because you're not giving them this high, high energy, uh hot ration. They're not getting, you know, like the guy that farms my ground, he's got, you know, 85 pounds of milk per day per cow, but he's also putting a lot in. They get that corn silage, they ground up straw, they've got all the commodity barn. What are you guys, what are you going
1: to do? We, we just, they're out in the past. Of course, we're in Florida, so we don't have snow. But, um, you know, they're out in the pasture year-round. I mean, I'm not against – I got a lot of buddies that milk exactly the way you just talked, and I used to do it myself. I'd have nothing against it, but every farmer's different. Everybody's got different things they need to do, and we just went a different route.
0: I think it makes good sense. And you know what? We're going to talk about the business of talking at ag meetings in a funny way, but I thought it'd be a neat thing for our ag folks to hear. When you think of a dairy, you probably don't think of the way he's doing it down there in Florida. These cows are on milk or on grass. He doesn't buy any grain. You only milk him once a day. Once a day. Once a day. Great. It's like banker hours almost. Talk louder. Thank you. All right. If you've ever then said to yourself, All right, I know about this Damien guy, tune into him. Who knew that there was this guy named Moffitt? So here's what you need to understand, dear listener Tim and I met uh not that long ago i kind of knew who he was he kind of knew who i was because you're out here on this circuit which people like to call a circuit like they think it's like you just go and hop on a train and the next thing you know that's your career <laughs> it, it, it's really not quite like that is it Tim? it's not what you'd call a circuit where you just sign up and like all of a sudden the train picks it's, you it's up it's not even that glamorous damon Damien, no it's not so Tim and I were, we always knew of each other and I had heard of him and he'd heard of me. And then in the wintertime, uh, I was asked to be a part of a podcast that was put on by a, a commodity group and a magazine. And they had Tim and I on as our guests. They sent us what was to be their script. And mostly they just wanted us to get on there and tell jokes and yuck it up. And that's where we both got together and said, you know, this is why they disrespect people that are comedically funny. They think you're like a puppet, you know, like a monkey on a string. It's like, hey, give me a peanut. I'll just turn the, act, turn, turn the organ and we'll play.
1: Oh, that was quite an interview, man. That's going down in the books. But, um, yeah, that, that's one of the things I hate. You brought it up is um, they think just because you're, you're a comedian, hey, tell me a joke. You know, that's the – hate that.
0: Now, I, we not only hate it, and this is something that most folks don't get. You know, it's it shows that it's almost like our, our business gets denigrated and we get disrespected. You know, if someone says, okay, I'm a farmer. Well, that's interesting. You might say, I'm a farmer. Oh, I'm a plumber. Oh, okay. But if you're at a cocktail party or at any event, what do you do? If you happen to say comedian, which I never do, and I'm guessing you probably don't much anymore either. Oh, you're a comedian? Oh, my God, say something funny. Or the worst one you're a comedian, but you don't seem very funny. Like, well, you know what? I'm not on stage right now. Why don't you get in your pocket and give me a few grand and I'll be the funniest damn person you've ever stood next to at this patio. Exactly. Exactly, man. So Tim and I met, we were part of this interview and then uh, I said, ah, this guy and I I should just keep up. So we've been keeping up a little bit ever since we did that. All right. Let's talk about show business. Tim, what have I missed so far? Other than we neither of us likes the term comedian. Do you call yourself comedian? Uh
1: yeah, I do. Because I mean, you're the smart one of the two of us, Damien. You're <laughs> I, I I think of you as, as much more intelligent than me. So I, I don't want to call myself a clown, so I call myself a comedian. But yeah, I'd still refer to myself as a comedian. Okay, here's the deal. First there, off that was no disrespect to you being smart.
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate that, and you'll never disrespect me by calling me smart. Go ahead. So that's – I don't mind being called a comedian. I don't mind being called a comedian either. I also, though, am protective if that means that they're going to expect you to be the monkey on the string and the organ starts grinding and you're supposed to then perform for peanuts. So comedian to me and you means we worked really hard at creating material and we put this show out there that's its humorous and it's funny – and I always tell everybody to be a comedian means you're a professional observer. You observe the day's news or this person's activity or something about, for instance, the business of agriculture, and then you put it through your lens and you give it the observation. Then you deliver it back to the people. They've seen it too, but they haven't seen it the same way we see it. And then we say, "Here's my perspective," and you put your point of view on it. Is that what you how you call or describe comedy? Yeah, I would call that. And
1: then you'd also. You say the things that other people are thinking, but they won't say it.
0: Yeah, there's a little bit of humor to be found in being the person that calls the spade a spade. There's also the thing where they kind of thought part of it, but they never articulated it all the way through. That's the one where you can take the first thing. Yeah, they've noticed this, but then they never took it and put three more punchlines on it, and that's what you do.
1: Well, and then it's also a matter of uh, timing. You know, when you, when you decide to say that thing that everybody's thinking and nobody is, you better say it at the right time
0: or it's really going to make you look bad. So one thing that I always pointed out as being the youngest of nine children, I'm not a great joke writer. I have good timing. I'd say I'm an average joke writer at best. I think I'm a good timing and interactive and on-my-feet guy. But One thing that we do as professional performers is we analyze ourselves just like an athlete breaks down tape and watches their free throw or how they played the game of football. When you look at Tim Moffat, what is your strength and what is your weakness as a performer? Uh, I, I'm more of a
1: uh, a reaction kind of guy um, as far as you know my observation and then my reaction to that. Um, I'm a decent writer. I think a lot of my my stuff just comes from maybe facial expressions and timing. What you know, I'm not boasting, but I could do a joke the same as a guy next to me, but I could do it funnier because I you know maybe the timing's different or I made a different face. So I don't know. If I-
0: yeah, it brings in the element of the physical. The physicality is very important in comedy. And some people are dry, some people are straight, some people are uh, all over the place. So, yeah, you've got a physicality about how you deliver your material.
1: And that, you know, that didn't happen overnight. So that's something that you kind of, you know, just like what you're saying, the more you do this, the more you hone, the more you get better. And uh, when I started out, it was it was quite horrible.
0: Yeah. there's a, there's a lot of folks that don't fully understand that to be good in the business of comedy or professional talking, you can up your, I'm saying, maybe I should say you can improve more quickly if you spend time critically analyzing. I talk about this a lot, the need to critically analyze what you do Breaking down tape is what I used to call it. You sit there, you watch a video or listen to audio after the show. You know, I have a political comedy guy. I'd go back to my hotel room and sit there at 10 o'clock at night and play the program back with a notepad. And that's what a lot of people realize. I,
1: I agree with you because some of those, you know, after you show, you're, you're driving home or you're in the hotel room and you're just critiquing yourself. to the, What What's that thing you say, the show, the show you – we're gonna say, it, how do you? I've heard you say it a couple of times, but it's dead on. It's
0: is dead, it? it is dead on. In show business, uh, what we say is, uh, and I think this, and you'll you'll agree with this, and the listeners are gonna agree with it. You got three shows. You got the one you planned it to do, the one you did, and the one after you walked off stage and were on your way home, you wished you had done. <laughs> and that happens more than you think. Yeah, because. <laughs> You go back through your mind, and that's what a lot of people probably don't realize. I can remember almost every nuance of a 60-minute set. When I'm back in my hotel room, I'm going through it, and I'm like, man, right there around, it was about, what, 15 minutes. I lost my footing for a little while. And I don't mean you lost your footing. Literally, figuratively, you weren't, weren't really comfortable, and something wasn't gelling with the audience for about two minutes. And you know that. And I play them back in my head. and Also, I play them back on the tape. You probably do too. I, I do that. I do that every time. So we talked about strength and weakness. Your your strength is uh, your strength is what? Writing. Um,
1: probably more timing and physical facials. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, I, I'm a decent writer. I got some people to help me write too, so it always helps.
0: Yeah, and I don't crank out as much county material because I've kind of moved into more of a business commentator guy about agriculture. So the programs I deliver now might only be 25 to 50% humor. Some, some I still do the evening slot where I'm uh, 90%, 100% humor, but I don't work at cranking out the new material as much as I once did. And the thing that helps you is when you have a funny partner. So you and I would sit down and say, okay, I got this thing about Uber. And, uh, tell me, and then I got, I've got either a setup or a punchline and then you help me find the rest of it. Is that what you do? Yeah. I already got a joke for that. Just as quick as you said that,
1: uh, in Indiana, that's where you're from, right? Indiana. Uh, they don't have Uber. They have goober. There's a guy that shows you turn up, uh, Leonard Skinner and a guy shows up in a pickup truck. (laughs)
0: There you go. So speaking of creating material. And this is on my list and we just went ahead and went through it so we might as well get to it how do you go about creating material
1: uh i'll see something uh i hear something uh somebody will tell me a story that happened to them and then you embellish it and it's i don't know as a comic you see stuff through different eyes
0: you know you just Do you call yourself are are you a storyteller are you a a guy who walks into a bar?
1: I I'm working into that storytelling part. That's never been one of my strengths because I'm more of a last per minute kind of guy. And the fact of um, telling a story where there is some some quiet time, um, I, I'm I'm getting better at it. But I'm not a I'm I'm not Jerry Clower
0: yet. It can be a little unnerving because my background as a political comedy guy, when we talk about going back to the room and breaking down tape, I would sit there and keep a little uh, strike pad, and I counted every laugh and then divided it by the number of minutes in the set. And if there were not three to four laughs per minute, my goal was four laughs per minute. And I'm like, okay, on average, if you can get four laughs a minute, that's every 15 seconds. Tim, that is killing. I mean, That's that's just killing. Even if you got three, you're still okay. But then I listen to these other people that call themselves humorists. Uh, and they're out there telling a story about daddy. Now, daddy, <laughs> let me tell you about daddy. Well, my daddy and me, you just said daddy 11 times. And yeah, daddy, well, daddy had these big old hands. And we'd go, and they would get to the six-minute mark and had one chuckle. And I'm like, who in the hell thinks this guy is funny? He's gotten one Polite chuckle that the crowd gave him just because they felt bad for him. In six minutes, I couldn't live like that.
1: If that if that guy came up to you in a bar and said, "Hey, I want to tell you this story or I want to tell you this joke," you'd have walked away from him in the first thirty seconds and forgot all about him. But because he's up there with a the microphone, you're you're trapped. But yeah, and yeah so, that, that's when you just want to say, "Get to the point."
0: Yeah, and get that's, to the by point. The way, you can tell the crowd. In fact, that's one of the things I always share with people that want to be better at talking, uh, better at communicating, or even better at jokes and comedy. What's the biggest downfall most of these people have? Too much. The, 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 they take too long to say something. There you go. Belabored in setups and not getting to the point. Right. And and the audience is saying, belabored setup. If Tim's got a bit. And it involves, you know, a nun fell in a mud puddle. It doesn't need to be a purple-haired, uh, one-armed nun who flew in from the Vatican, who uh, had just met her uh, her midget uh, rabbi attorney. It doesn't need to be all that if the punchline is the nun fell in the mud puddle. And people don't get that. So if you ever listen to stories or comedy to your audience, you'll notice belabored setups, and unnecessary peripheral detail, and then never getting to the point, meandering, can be the death of comedy right
1: people listening to this podcast might be saying that themselves right now get to the point damien and tim <laughs> i don't know uh
0: they're not because they're enjoying we're teaching them about the business of funny all right first time you hit the stage for money cool. years ago. it
1: was uh i'd been doing comedy it open mics for about a year and i thought i was ready to go do a farm bureau um dinner And uh, I think they were paying me $150, and I drove, like, three hours. And, Damien, it was so bad (laughs) that I offered them their money back. And they felt sorry for me and told me that I needed to take some comedy classes to keep it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was was bad, buddy. It was bad. (laughs) Hey, we've all been there. I did. My first paying gig was, I think, for one to $300, somewhere in that range, because I can't remember which one was which. And uh, at one of them, the whole everybody in the crowd was drunk but me. And at, uh-huh. the, other, and at the other one, I was drunk, uh, which, which, you know, starting out, you don't do that. Now, by the way, all, Tim and I are professionals, and this is our business. But when you're starting out, it's almost a lark. I mean, you're like a farm kid. It's funny. You've got this thing going. So, yeah, you know, you've, you've done it when you took a little less seriously. Yeah. You drink? No, I, I do, but not on stage. That's same with me. I just got offered a week ago. They said, You want a beer? Because I was doing an evening event. You know, I don't, I don't do as many evenings anymore. I do more of the daytime slots now. But, you know, I was doing an evening slot. And they said, You want a beer? I said, Yeah. When I get done, they said, oh, You can have a beer. I said, Trust me, I know I can. I drink beer. I love beer. I said, I could drink four beers and still go on that stage and still just be fine. I said, I'm gonna tell you why I don't. And the same reason I'm sure for you, Tim. I don't want you, the paying client, to think I don't take my job seriously. And that's why I don't have a beer ever before I go on stage.
1: I have a funny story about that. Do we have time? We got time. All right. (laughs) I was doing a show, Mississippi State University. It was the veterinarian program, and they, it was It was like a graduation banquet, whatever. Now, all these vetins, veterinary students were in the back, and there was a bar in the back of the room. Now, all the suits, all the professors, all the, the the beautiful people were down front. Well, the students in the back decided to start sending me shots of tequila. Now, this is at a corporate event like we do. And yeah. I. Didn't, I didn't know that they were allowed to do that. Yeah. So you know, went in Rome. So I did. I did. It was a double shot of tequila. I didn't know that till I drank it. Oh my! And uh, long story short, it started to hit me about five minutes later, and I had a particular joke about uh, vegetarians, but my words got slurred and my brain was feeling a little funky, so I said vaginas. So when you're on stage at a corporate event, and you go to say vegetarian and you say vaginas, that show comes to a screeching halt. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so lesson to self, don't drink, you're on stage. Eating, don't drink tequila when you're on stage. <laughs> uh, all right. We talked about creating material. I'm going to give you a couple of fun things here. All right, you and I are on stage ourselves, but there's a little bit of a character. How much of what you do on stage is a character versus, you know, how much is really just Tim Moffat? How much is character? Uh, I, you know, I think the
1: longer you do this, you can you can be yourself on stage. When you first start doing comedy, you're so worried about being funny, you're so worried about remembering your next line, you're so worried about people talking. And it's, you know when you're up there but i i'm i've always been myself i just think i'm probably more of an animated version i wouldn't get as excited about stuff as i do on stage in person you'd think i was nuts but uh i mean i'm not i'm not a clown of, I, I don't know What? i'm me i'm just a little more loud and a little more animated
0: yeah, that's how I would say it, too. know um, I started out as a character comedian, and then it was really hard to step away from the mask. I mean, it was really, really hard. My first year or two of going away from political comedy where I dressed up as Bill Clinton being me, I still played a character. My wife even came in and it was painful, so she didn't come very often. She watched me work at, that, like you said, open mic nights that nobody has. I mean, just to talk, to, I mean, this is what we should share with our audience. Okay, farmers are listening and, and equipment dealers and, and right. you know, like crop insurance sales reps. And they're saying, yeah, you know, this business talk is not very hard. Let me just put a couple things in perspective. Would you go every Tuesday for free and do open seed salesman nights? Would you go every Wednesday and do open machinery repairman night? No. The point is open mic night should give you a clue as to how hard this business is. In every city of consequence in this country, there's a club where at, on Tuesday night, sometimes they charge you to yeah. get stage time. You pay money to get stage time to get up and work out five minutes of material. So, if you think this is an easy business, there's a whole bunch of people that are trying to get paid to do it. that can't even get paid, and are willing to pay to do it. So that's one thing that you got to realize: it's a tough, tough business. And it's because a few people are very good, and uh, and it takes a long time to get good. I mean, you've been there for 17 years, and you're still getting better, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I, every you know, I always try to work on something different. But this, it's just like anything else in life. You 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 don't start out good when you hear about. When you hear about this comedian or somebody that's pushing themselves, well, I've only been doing it a year and I'm a headliner and I'm doing this and that. That guy's so
0: full of shit. He don't know what he's talking. I mean, he Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. See, that's the other thing I was gonna tell you. On on stage, I'm myself, and like you said, I'm probably 90% Damian Mason with a 10% character, just like you said. A bit more animated. I'm not up there lying. And I'm not up there playing a character, but I'm probably ten percent character because I'm a little more animated, a little bit more of the, the showman. In real life, my wife always points out, she's like, people think because of what you've done for your career, that you're like the life of the party that's running around being yeah. Mr. Extrovert, and she says, Do they not have any idea that when you get done with your gig, you usually have a beer with the client and then go and hide in your hotel room? <laughs> I do the same thing. Yeah. So tell me about talent. I've got some real opinions about this. Is there a thing called natural talent? I think there is. I I, uh, I want, you
1: know, somebody asked me one time, you think you're born with this. Uh, I really think you are. I mean, I couldn't decide I want to be a, a quarterback on an NFL team and, you know, just
0: show up. I, I think you're born with it. Yeah, I tell her by being funny is like being tall. Uh, I've been saying this forever. I've got it in one of my books, maybe two of them. Being funny is like being tall. You either are or you are not. And it's going to be obvious to the world by the time you're 18 or 20 years old. Now, that said, that doesn't mean that you're good because then there's the work ethic part of it. I'd say that there's a thing called natural talent, Tim, but without the work ethic, you'll never be professionally Exactly. Yeah, be funny. There's funny. You know, everybody knows. I've got friends. I'm sure you do too. Uh, they're funny as hell. They've got talent that you and I, you know, don't have. That we've cultivated through our work ethic, but they don't have the discipline to show up and do those horrible gigs for 150 dollars that you you cried on the way home because you felt like boy it was so bad. I'm not afraid to admit it. I've cri- I've done events that went so poorly I went back and cried. Wow. No, because, Because I thought, man, this is supposed to be my career. I should be better than this. Well, me now, obviously, twenty-five years in, I don't have that, but I certainly did in the first in the first five to ten years.
1: Well, I've had a couple where I said to myself, "That's it. I ain't doing this again." You know what I'm saying? Just, but then you, I don't know about you, but once you kind of get addicted to it, you you know it draws you back in.
0: That was going to be my question. What's the best part about what you do?
1: I enjoy it. I mean, I, I really do. Um, when the crowd's laughing hard enough, you know, sometimes there's nothing better than getting that adrenaline rush coming back. Um, but, I, I, you know, as far as the ag community, I enjoy meeting other farmers because, you know, eight times out of ten, I always get some stupid story that I end up putting in my
0: act. So. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you're right. able to cultivate material right. from the ag community, and you being an ag guy, you like the interaction. I like the education. You know, I'm not a farmer. I mean, I, I am on paper and I have my hobby beef operation, but I rent my farmland out and make a few acres of hay. So I'm a farm guy. I rent my land out. So I don't need, uh, I mean, I, I don't uh, have quite that, but I definitely enjoy what I learn about agriculture from doing these events. Best part for me also is the creative. My wife told me a long time ago, she says, you know, most people work at jobs. and They never see anything come from it. You know, they go and sit in their cubicle. Farmers love the fact that they see corn coming out of the auger in November when they're harvesting. And and you see milk, uh, you know, coming in and out of that bulk tank. We see in the business of professional humor, we see... People laughing about a bit we put together on the airplane when we're sitting there with our pen and paper, creating that bit based on something we read in the newspaper. We see a deliverable from our, from our work.
1: Well, it's, and the other thing is cool about it. um, It's instant gratification. You know, as soon as it comes out of your mouth, whether they liked it or not, you don't have to wait around for a review. You don't have to read the paper, you know, Whereas if you make a movie or you've done something and you got to wait for it to come out, you you don't know. But the thing about comedy and public speaking is you know right away whether you
0: did a good job or not. Yeah, there's no question. You know, I've I've been in a couple of movies and there's people that give that a lot of credence. They just think, oh, my gosh, you've been moving. And they think it'd be the neatest thing in the world, like this exotic life. I said, it is the most hideously boring. If you have a comedy background – being in comedy is like I wrestled in high school. There's nobody to blame. There's not any of this, oh, the, the quarterback stepped on the center's foot. No, yeah. it's you. And, and that's it. I and mean, in comedy, it is you on stage and it's in the moment and you are delivering. On a movie set, oh, I just delivered my line. It turns out they didn't have the, the mics weren't turned on. It's like, well, who the hell didn't have the mics turned on? That's a, well, we're going to do it again. There's no immediacy. And so, therefore, it just doesn't have the same level of edge.
1: And, you know, sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's it's painful,
0: you know. Uh, There's been plenty of times it was painful.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, it, you know, over the course, I think I'm about 2,000 – I've done 2,000 presentations, many of them were humor. And I'd say that of those, uh, you know, let's be honest, I'd say – 5% of them were uh, not anywhere close to what you want them to be and honestly I think that that's where you get to where you're at your level and my level where you're getting paid well to do it you don't have any F's you have A minuses, A pluses A's and some B pluses, you don't have any that go down the tubes and it's an F like your first Farm Bureau gig or the, the one I did for $100 when everyone was drunk but <laughs>
1: But also, we've both been doing this for so long that if you, when you do get into that situation, whether the room's not set up right or they didn't like the joke, you can recover no problem. And that's, that's, that's the difference between us and the guy that said I was doing comedy for a year and now I'm booking myself as this great person. That's the difference. He's, he's gonna get his butt handed to him pretty quick.
0: Yeah, you've got to have enough truck. You got tricks up your sleeve, and that's because that's what experience has taught you. He thinks he's amazing because he he had a couple of good rooms and things went really well. And you've got a depth. Uh, you, you and I have a toolbox that is so deep and vast because of we've seen it all. I've had gigs where the lights went out. I had gigs where there's four. I had one where I had six people in a room that was set up for 220. They put me on at 7:30 in the morning to be funny. At a contractor's convention, everybody was so partying the night before, six people showed up, and they had a room set for 220.
1: Ouch. I had a guy die during one of my sets. <laughs> I kid you not. He keeled over. And uh...
0: Okay. By the way, I think that's going to almost be the highlight. We're going to leave it with that, because in comedy, we always say, did you kill? Literally, <laughs> Tim Moffat got up on stage and killed. It was – be covered from that. Well, good for you. All right, I had other stuff on our outline, but this has flown by because Tim and I are buddies. I'm going to let him promote himself right now. If you are enjoying the discussion, and and I think that a lot of people enjoy hearing a little bit behind the scenes when it's kind of showbiz, but showbiz is also a business. As I tell everybody, there's four letters in show, eight letters in business. You've got to apply twice the effort to the business side as you do to the show to make it in this racket. So with that in mind, Tim Moffitt, you've got a new album or recording or a CD out, and people can get it. Tell me about that.
1: Thanks, Damien, thanks for having me on. I want to tell you that first. I've I've had a good time. It's always good chatting with you. And, uh, uh, yeah, I have an album out right now. It's called Tim the Dairy Farmer, Farm Raised. Uh, I just signed a deal with Jeff Foxworthy and Larry the Cable Guy and uh so my album's out there it's it's uh it's it's everywhere it's on amazon itunes google play uh pandora it's so just type in tim the dairy farmer farm raised um or y- you can buy it or you can listen to it i don't care just listen to it one way
0: or the other as long as you're making a little bit of money because we all got to keep the light bill paid and uh i appreciate it. his name's tim Moffat. these folks want to find you tell them again the website Tim, the dairy farmer, Tim, Tim the dairy farmer.com. He's my buddy. He's uh, my brother in arms and this racket. And you're saying, Damien, are you promoting your competition? Hey, this is a tough business. And uh, I think if you got a few, uh, if you got a few people you can be friendly with along the way, it's kind of like farmers. Uh, the truth is you don't want your neighbor to be doing that well, because that means that, uh, you know, uh, what you really want in agriculture, you want everybody else to have a bad crop and you to have a good one. but. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but the thing about what we do is you might go this year, I'll go next year. I mean, it's it's not a rivalry thing. I mean we both want each other to be successful, though.
0: There you go. All right. You've been listening to the business of agriculture. You're talking to two guys who make a living talking funny. In fact, this is titled The Business of Talking Funny to the Business of Agriculture. Pass it on to some of your friends. Thanks for joining us. Till next time, I'm Damian Mason in the business of agriculture. Thanks, Tim Moffat. Thank you.